Welcome. You are listening to Copland. Copland is about the life and times of our protectors and defenders, police, fire, EMS, medical trauma units, and the military. The underappreciated doing the unthinkable for the often ungrateful. I am Jay Dobbins, and I'll be your host. In each season, we will hear three episodes featuring extraordinary heroes, amazing personal experiences that will inspire and uplift you. Sometimes they might shock you. The highs and lows, the successes and the failures, told in their own words and all experienced during their personal journey of sacrifice to make the world a safer place. This is Copland. In 2007, in, in Baghdad, I was leading an infantry platoon, uh, and you know, uh, bottom line is is was shot and killed uh, by a sniper that day. Uh, I died for 15 minutes. Uh, the bullet uh, severed my femoral artery, uh, so I kind of went through the entire process of dying. Uh, the other thing is that that same bullet first passed through uh, and severed the aorta of my senior non-commissioned officer, Staff Sergeant Marlon Harper. This is the second episode of Copland Season One blood and bone. Next, we are going to meet West Point graduate and retired Army Major Josh Montz. Josh's episode is titled, To Live and Die in Iraq. Josh starts with how at an early age, he was mentored toward a life of service and the importance of the human factor in our protectors and defenders. Well, I, I grew up in a law enforcement military family. So my, my dad, my stepfather was uh, law enforcement and uh, earlier in his career, he spent about six years in the infantry as well. So, so military law enforcement family. Uh, one of my biggest mentors in high school was a retired Special Forces Sergeant Major. Uh, you just had a tremendous impact on the way that I thought about things. You know, we think Special Forces, Special Operations, and we tend to think like our minds jump to, you know, the hardcore raids and, you know, tactical actions. Uh, but especially back then, you know, he was doing counter drug operations in, at the, the height of the drug war, right, in South America. Um, and the way that he really had a lot of success down there was through counterinsurgency practices, right, which was all really about relationship building. So he succeeded through cultural competence, through empathy, through, through building trust, right, through humility, uh, through all these qualities that, uh, you know, a lot of us don't associate with... <laughs> with those kind of hardcore, hard-charging type of professions, right? That there's, there's, more, there's much more to the modern warrior uh, in, in, in terms of the complexity of the situations that they have to endure. Josh discusses his love of the mission and how after his injury, he was pulled by an overpowering desire to return to his teammates in Baghdad and the impact that had on his family. Well, it started in 2007 in, in Baghdad. I was leading an infantry platoon. Uh, and, you know, uh, bottom line is, is was shot and killed uh, by a sniper that day. Uh, I died for 15 minutes. Uh, the bullet uh, severed my femoral artery. Uh, so I kind of went through the entire process of dying, which is a, a you know, different story that we don't have time to get into. But uh, the other thing is that that same bullet first passed through uh, and severed the aorta of my senior non-commissioned officer, Staff Sergeant Marlon Harper. Um, I made a full recovery, basically, uh, you could say that, at least physically, um, and actually returned to that unit uh, in, in just about four and a half months' time. 
to finish the tour. Uh, you know, pulling staples out of the leg with <laughs> with a Leatherman, pulling documents out of my medical records. It's like when you're wounded like that, it's it's the hardest thing is, is not being wounded. The hardest thing is not being with your team. Um, so that's a, a very powerful force that drove me to go back. But the bottom line is there's, that was, that was while that looked, um, while I wouldn't change it, you know, and, and while I, even to this day, I still like agree with it and I would do it again. Um, I would, I would, I would do it differently. Um, at least with more consideration of my, my family, <laughs> you know, uh, my mom literally got the phone call that I was dead uh, or about to die. She, she was told by the Department of Defense, get on a plane to Germany now uh, if you want to see your son alive again. Traumatic events are a part of a warrior's life. They are simply the cost of doing business. We sign up for the risks when we take a weapon to work on behalf of a greater good. Josh speaks beyond the flesh and blood wounds, but to the moral injuries and their consequences like shame and guilt the price paid behind a life spent trying to keep others safe. There were a lot of ways that I was being impacted by these deep moral wounds, uh, which, is, which is the heart of what I, I try to, to, to help law enforcement professionals, military folks uh, uh, verbalize and, and, and recognize and understand a, a little bit more deeply. You know, what, what is shame, powerlessness, betrayal, and guilt do to us? And how do we overcome it? So here's the here's the deal with trauma. Like a, a lot of reason why there's such a stigma around trauma is because people don't understand it, and it's been oversimplified, right? And the, the the truth here is there's there's three sources of trauma, and that is traumatically life threatening situations, which are fear based, uh, traumatic loss, which is grief based, right? And then the final one, moral injury, right? Which is based on a, a perceived violation of our moral code, right? which is a very personal thing that. Remember, sometimes we don't even know. Sometimes we're facing situations that are so complex uh, that, that literally it's, it's truly a brand new experience, <laughs> right? And, and we may not know even what our moral code will dictate in that moment, right? Until we actually experience something like that. So, so this is kind of a journey that continues to deepen, but it's, the bottom line is a moral wound is a violation of that. Um, an example of this to, more simply, right, related to, to my gunshot wound is, you know, here I was bleeding out on a desert floor with a severed femoral. Marlon was bleeding out right beside me with a severed aorta. You know, similar to your gunshot wound, right? Just the way you describe it in, in terms of blood just gushing out like a, a faucet. Uh, that's precisely what happened, you know? And here you have a 19-year-old medic who has to make a choice uh, between which one he's going to try to save and, and who's going to die. So, so that's an example of just one form of a moral wound that can induce guilt and subsequently shame, right? A, a, a form called an irresolvable moral dilemma, a situation in which any choice that I make as that medic, right, will result in a negative outcome of some kind, right? The, so he instantly, in that, in that infinitesimal split second of time where he has to make a conscious choice, Right, his 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 mind has to attempt to process that entire experience right afterwards, and uh, that that's where these these irresolvable moral dilemmas can really start to plant powerful seeds of guilt uh, and and shame that uh, can can really sneak up on us. I've heard Josh speak to audiences at least a dozen times. 
He never fails to show great pride in the medical staff who saved his life and display his admiration for the performance of those doctors, medics, and nurses who battled to save him. Just kind of the culture of, uh, you know, what we call in the military the combat arms professions, right? The infantry, for example, right? We kind of have a chip on our shoulder a little bit just culturally that, you know, the infantry is where it's at, right? The infantry is what it's all about. Um, you know, it's a little bit of bravado. A lot of it's healthy competition, right? Um, but, and I can't say that I've ever, like, I mean, I, come on, I was, I was an officer, so it's not like I ever subscribed to that mentality, really. But it's, it, it's, at the same time, I never disproved it more than on April 21st, 2007, when I saw that medical team in action. And, and it's, it's because of that 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 day is the day where I really learned what leadership meant, what it really meant to be part of a team. It's, it's, it's not that I haven't been surrounded by phenomenal leaders up to that point. It's, it's just seeing, seeing this medical team in their own way, right, in their own realm of expertise, performing as brilliantly as an infantry squad on the objective um, was and, – and to be, like, witnessing this while I'm in critical condition, you know, and seeing a team – just operate in this sort of just to be able to observe <laughs> this team in a state of optimal performance right where i was the subject <laughs> you know dying it was just this bizarre um bizarre experience you could just i guess i i say in in some ways you're like in a weird way part of that team for that experience you know and it was it was just a it was just a very powerful event um after i flatlined uh, that's where, you know, I found out retrospectively just how far they went to save my life. Uh, you know, 15 minutes. I mean, just for, for people who don't know, I mean, 15 minutes, it's, it's, there's been people who have come back from longer than that, but it's not very common, <laughs> you know, uh, without brain damage at least. And, uh, you know, the typical medical standard where most surgeons call it is around the six minute mark because that's when brain damage really s sets in. This team kept going for 15. Um, and when I went back to Baghdad and asked that brigade surgeon why, that was the only question I had for him. Why? What? What made you keep going <laughs> when there's basically there's no hope, right? You wouldn't think. Yeah, 15. That's a long time. Uh, and he just, without hesitating, three word response: We never quit. Um, I found out years later that uh, you know this is. You know, we're, we're talking the middle of northeastern Baghdad here. We're, we're talking a very rudimentary American care facility that had very basic life-saving equipment, but had a obviously an expert uh, people fulfilling the role of that team. Uh, but because of that, they they were basically working on me on top of like a cot, and there was some mechanical failure that happened right as I arrived that stopped them from being able to lower it to get the leverage needed to do CPR. And it just so happened that there was one person on their team who just happened to be a former football lineman named Private First Class Tipton, uh, who, who was like six foot six, 250, 260, you know, big kid, 19 years old. Uh, and it was Tipton who did CPR on me for 15 straight minutes. Uh, and, and, and he alone, just pouring sweat the whole time, and he did it standing on top of a crate. It, 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 was, it, was, it was the stars aligning and... <laughs> there's just a lot of strange things that happened that day, man. Even the defibrillator paddles that they used to shock me back to life uh, literally arrived at the base that very morning, you know, and they had to take them out of the plastic to use them on me. 
so you know there is a convergence of forces there is a convergence of variables there is a convergence of people who all had some degree of at least some degree of free will and that choice that they all made a choice to kind of sacrifice to uh you know move this move this entire mission forward you know and that's that's what it was really all about as josh explains an element of trauma is the loss of control he tells the story of how his young platoon took that back the medical team you know they, they pull off this miracle they get this faint pulse back and they race me out to the landing zone on a, on a stretcher where uh you know we had a blackhawk helicopter just running hot getting ready to take me to the green zone for more advanced surgery and uh that medical team encountered my scout platoon right and and uh the the, the scouts now led by a young staff sergeant you know because the leaders were both taken out by this single bullet so this young staff sergeant steps up and says, you know, he stops the medical team in their tracks and says, we're, he's our lieutenant. We're putting him on that bird, you know, and, and uh, you know, they, they took the stretcher from the medical team. They loaded me on the Blackhawk. And it's, it's kind of like an example of, of just that, that singular power of that moment right there. There's so many, so much meaning behind that. But in, in many ways, remember that that young staff sergeant and his team, right, uh, this this sniper stole control away from him and that's that's kind of a staple of trauma as we try to understand this stuff retrospectively is is, is, is like there was a loss of control because of that enemy sniper and their their ability to grab that stretcher was so symbolic of them taking control back and indeed they were back out on patrol six hours later cheating death was only part of josh's miracle after having no pulse for 15 minutes and suffering massive amounts of blood loss, medical examples suggest that anyone subjected to that would suffer extensive brain damage. This is funny, Jay. There is, uh, you know, they expected, if the, even when they got that pulse back, right, it was about two days before, I, you know, a day, I don't know what it was, a day or two before I regained consciousness. Um, and, the, you know, what I found out is they... You know, they got this pulse back, but they, they expected catastrophic brain damage, right? And and I, I woke up with absolutely no trace of it. Um, my very first question was, did Marlon make it? You know, I didn't think he did, so it wasn't much of a shock. It was more of a confirmation. Um, so, of course, he didn't make it. Uh, and then, you know, the, the nurse asked me where I was. She, you know, and, and she was stunned when I told her I was at you know, forward operating base loyalty. Um, that's where I was evacuated to, was FOB loyalty. That's where I died. That's where the team brought me back. I, I, while I was unconscious, I got transported to the green zone. So what that meant is that my memory, memory was intact. Josh touched on it earlier, but during our chat, he circled back to the pure love he holds for his teammates and their mission. For me, that is such a powerful demonstration of the selfless man Josh is. He deeply cares for those he stood shoulder to shoulder with. When we spoke, Josh didn't say it himself, so I will say it for him. Only four months after he died on the battlefield, flatlined for 15 minutes, with no real hope of surviving, he was back with his team in Iraq. It was a pretty significant effort to get back. The very first question that the doctor or that I asked the doctor is like, when can I go back to my team? You know, and, and that's that's not a, an uncommon thing. Like, you know, you'll have triple amputees next to you who are are saying this. They're asking the same question, right? There's a love. There's a drive. There's a there's a deep sense of urgency and responsibility to get 
uh, to, to be with your team members when they are in danger, when they are in harm's way, right? It is an innate characteristics of people in these professions, in the first responder military professions. It's one thing that I think these professions understand that others don't. It's powerful enough to uh, drive you to pull staples out of your leg with a Leatherman, right? It's powerful enough to uh, push you to uh, sometimes blur ethical boundaries, <laughs> to lie, cheat, steal, to pull stuff out of your medical records, you know, to, to, to you'd be surprised how far we'd go uh, to sacrifice for our team. Uh, you know, again, the, the, the challenge with that was, though, is, is that simultaneously, and I didn't even recognize this at the time, is the impact that that was having on my family. Um, but nonetheless, that was part of the quality, that, that, that drive and that sense of primacy that I, I guess in some ways it, it, it felt, at least I knew my family was safer than my team was at that point. <laughs> and, and that, so, so it was like a decisive decision that I, I, I got it. It's, I realized it's emotionally hard on my family, uh, even though they fully supported what I was doing going back. Uh, never started to try to stop me, but it, the, 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 the most primal need at that point in time, the most urgent need was getting back with my team. A key factor in Josh living through his injury was his high level of fitness. What was cool about having that conversation with the medical team after I went back, because yeah, the other questions I asked were like, okay, how medically, like, is this really possible or what happened here, you know? And he, he said there, there were a couple of variables that helped. One was that I was in really good physical condition. Um, so if there's, you know, sometimes we can hear these things throughout our careers that just get drilled into our minds over and over again. Like, you've got to work out, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And, and, and we can start to get complacent with that stuff after we hear it so much. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping this serves as a bit of a reminder that, like, physical fitness can literally save your life. Uh, and it did in my case. Josh reflects on the spirituality of experiencing death surrendering to something greater than ourselves and how his personal miracle set him on a path to deeper understanding. The, the precise transition point from life to death, I, I'm fully conscious, I was fully conscious of that and fully aware of it. So it wasn't like life flashed before my eyes, but I do believe that what was most important was revealed in that moment, uh, which, which came down to family. Uh, and then with that last breath, the only way I can describe that feeling is just one of absolute and complete surrender to something much greater than ourselves, right? Every good, every bad, every positive, every negative, all of it just vanishes and goes away. And it's as if the, the soul, the spirit is absorbed into everything and nothing that is God or that is whatever word you want to use to describe that absolute primal being. So that's what I experienced. It took me 12 years to be able to articulate it that way. Right. So, so what I'm saying is this, is this is kind of an interesting parallel to many things in our lives, right? This peak experience of this near-death experience was interesting. Um, I, I experienced these feelings, right? These very powerful, this incredibly transformative experience, but I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know what it meant. I, 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 just, I just went back to being like, okay, you know, bullets out of me. Let's get back to Baghdad. Let's go back to old Josh. I had this profound experience, but my mind didn't know what to do with it. My body didn't know what to do with it. When we're, when we are severely traumatized, right? Sometimes like we're good at pressing on, driving through, but that, that, that system is still spiraling in there, right? That unresolved system of, of, of that experience. 
So, so, so what I mean is, um, I, I describe it as a feeling of absolute and complete surrender because there's nothing else that I could do in that moment. It was a truly like absolute vulnerability. You know, it was like being literally like being born again in, in a way. Josh is on a mission to help others understand the demons of trauma and how those experiences accumulate over time, leading to emotional struggles. He is the epitome of a man who simply can't and won't stop giving back to others. Some people would think that's the end of the journey. It was really the very, very beginning. Uh, the very, very beginning of the journey was when I woke up, right? Um, and and like so many different forms of trauma and, and, and our, our experiences, it's, 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 it's about what, what, what do they mean? You know, what do they mean and, and how are they influencing our behavior in the present moment? Th those, are the, those are the core questions of the soul. That's what we're helping people do. Like you, you can say we're helping people get help and do this. Like we're helping people ask better questions about themselves so they can better understand themselves, right? That's what it's all about. The, 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 the warrior has the innate wisdom. We're just trying to help them synthesize it and and for me that that journey right that 12-year journey that it ultimately came down to learning how to surrender consciously rather than being forced into it by a bullet right uh -huh. so 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 all this said and done it was it was learning to surrender consciously which is which is something that i think all of us kind of struggle with daily, but are aware of at least well I, i'll tell you this you know law enforcement professionals especially uh, and, and certain branches of the military, especially, um, have an enormously complex responsibility placed upon them. Um, uh, our, our first responders and military personnel today uh, have a higher moral and ethical standard than they ever have before in the past. They're under high levels of scrutiny, they're under higher levels of danger, and they're forced to assume more and more risk as time goes on, right? Um, so, so many of the things that are encountered in these professions um, are, are, you know, emotionally and mentally complex. And, and as time goes on, th those experiences build up um, and, and can, can really start to compromise and chip away at, at who, we, who we feel we are, you know, what, what do we believe in what we're doing, right? And uh, the, the, the point is that um, that that process is a journey. Uh, it's, it's, it's never a fixed point in time. Um, and, and that, uh, the more that, the more that we are able to articulate these experiences, the more that we can take their power away. Right. So, so I wouldn't send an untrained police officer into a firefight, right? I don't want to send an untrained police officer into the streets to experience, you know, abused kids, battered women, Right, the powerlessness of not being able to press charges because of some bureaucratic matter. I, you know, we, to 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 send somebody into that battlefield unprepared, I think is just as responsible as sending somebody into a physical battlefield unprepared. Because I guarantee the torture, mental torture that somebody will go through through the rest of their lives is far worse than getting shot. You know, trauma is not about getting shot; it's about the threat of getting shot. Right? It's about the threat. Of, of it, and you know where where these experiences can leave us trapped in our past so too can some of these situations leave us morally and ethically trapped um so so but the way to disrupt it right the way to gain power over it is by being able to have some reasonable discussions about this stuff to start articulating it um you know because it it can't shame and guilt they love to hide in the shadows 
You know, it's like an underground government. It's like a shadow government. It's, it's an insurgency of the mind, right? But an insurgency only survives through its secrecy, <laughs> right? So, so the way to kill the insurgency is by bringing it out in the open. The way to kill guilt and shame is by bringing it out in the open. Um, so that's, that's the, uh, the journey that ultimately makes all of this stuff worth it. Josh's remarkable story of life and death and life again is captured in his book, The Beauty of a Darker Soul. You can find that on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. He is the founder and CEO of Asymmetric Mind, a training program designed to help clinicians better understand and treat the complex psychological injuries often suffered by those in the law enforcement and military communities. Josh is an amazing public speaker and remains in high demand while he pursues a PhD in moral psychology. To learn more about Josh and his programs, go to asymmetricmind.com. That's A-S-Y-M-M-E-T-R-I-C-M-I-N-D.com. Copland is produced for those courageous men and women whose alarm clock goes off every day. They put their feet on the ground, buckle on gear, and kiss their families goodbye with no guarantee they will ever come home. They go willingly, facing predators and violence on behalf of good and innocent people who simply want to live safe, peaceful lives. Thank you for listening. God bless and go be amazing.